Right. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people here in Western Australia. Stories to inspire and guide you to take action to be all you can be. Today, my guest is yoga instructor, archer, coach, and transpersonal counsellor, Lars Richter. Originally born in Dresden in East Germany, Lars witnessed firsthand the fall of the Berlin Wall. He then left the safe world of a career in engineering to follow his passion for yoga, creating his own school and studying under a variety of great teachers. Lars moved to Australia in 2007 and lives in Melbourne. Since then, he's also become an accredited transpersonal counsellor, as well as studying Qigong, meditation, mindfulness, and breathwork, which he integrates as tools into his work and personal practice. Lars is in WA this week, as he also delivers his longbow making workshop, which he delivers around Australia. In this workshop, he passes on knowledge and skills to help you to learn to make your own longbow and cedarwood arrow, and to connect with your ancestral wisdom. And of course, there's some archery coaching in there too, once you've made the bow. Lars, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ben. Cool. So you live in Melbourne, but mm -hmm. you, you come over here to deliver the longbow training. You've been coming over here for like three years now, isn't it? Three years, it? yeah. So uh, what is it that brings you back to WA and what, what's your view of the feel and the vibe of, of here in Western Australia? Um, I arrived here actually in 2003, first time coming to Australia as a German backpacker. Right. And that's how I met my friend Gary, which you just met. Um, and um, so it's always nice to visit old friends. He's actually my oldest friend in Australia. Right. Um, and apart from that, Fremantle has always been a beautiful place for me. Uh, maybe it's just because he, I arrived here. It's almost like that's where I grew up in a yes. sense. Um, it's interesting. A, a lot of people have landed in Australia in Fremantle, Fremantle throughout right. many years in yeah. history. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, and I guess it's a place for new beginnings. It was a new journey for me and finally settling in Australia. And now it's a new journey of podcasting. It's my first time in a podcast. Yeah. Um, and yeah, returning for work is obviously a, a nice um, idea as well. I love coming over here and um, delivering my work to yeah. people in WA. Yeah. Superb. So um, can you tell me a bit more about um, your time in Germany? seeing the wall come down and then why you ended up coming to Australia and how. Yeah. Um, so when the wall There's came... It's a big span of time there. It but. is, yes. So when I... Um, where to start? I was about 16 years old when the wall came down and it was a really exciting time. A few days, in fact, you know, and you just realize the wall is gone. What... Yeah. can't be true, right? But it was. So, you know, back in the days, I jumped on the train with my older brother and went to Berlin and checked it out, <laughs> see if it's actually true. And so we walked through the wall and it was all kind of amazing seeing all the security and, and they just let you pass and it was not part of your world. Like it was you know, impossible. And overnight, bang. God. So we walked through and checked out West Berlin and went back and that was it. And from there, I went downhill in East Germany and, you know, reuniting, which was more a takeover, I would say. But 
don't want to get too political here. You know, yeah, there are many good things in East Germany which I I would like to see as a confederation, maybe or collaborating act of let's make Germany better altogether. Yes, but as you know, capitalism doesn't work like that. Right. So it was just like what bang. sort of th what sort of things would those been? Say again. What sort of things would you have liked to have seen capped? Um, well. To start with, because East Germany was part of the East Bloc countries, there was a big trade embargo and therefore there was limited supplies of certain things in yeah. East Germany. And that's just, um, led to really using stuff, reusing stuff, recycling, uh, et cetera, yes. et cetera, which was amazing on an environmental level. Yeah. Now we're looking at that stuff again because we're realizing, okay, the earth is actually something we have totally used too much. Yes. Um, but back in the days, it was just needed because that's how the system worked. Um, and you know, there was cheap energy. There was, um, many things were subsidized. So the living standards were equal for everyone on a certain level. Yeah. And then whoever wanted more, would, I don't know, it's like socialism, communism. I don't know if I'm going to go there now, but there's some really good things in there. And I think when you, look at the Buddhist philosophy and communism, you will understand that actually almost the same. Yes. So when I say Buddhism is awesome, people would probably agree, but when I say communism is awesome, then people would go mad. Go, How can you say that? But when you really look at it on a philosophical level, you will potentially find out that communism as an idea is actually pretty cool. Yeah. So that's where I'm feeling like there was so much good stuff happening and so many great ideas and that would have enriched on a hu humane or on a level of how can I say it? Um, for humanity. Yes. For Germans in that case, it would have been a great, a great step up mm -hmm. evolving to a new level of society while the war came down. But yeah. unfortunately it was just like. Capitalism just, comes flooding in. Let's just do everything the same we have done over the last 40 years, what we've done in West Germany. So. Yeah, it's just, mm. yeah. So, yeah, that's my take on that. Um, from there, I learned how propaganda, as I knew it from East Germany, was just the same propaganda through advertising and other things in West Germany. Um, you know, I didn't know advertising as such as an East German citizen. Yes. But through, when you look at how society works, like white man capitalism society, there's so much propaganda and so much corruption and don't put your finger towards East Germany or any other country who are just trying to do the best they can. Yeah. Um, really we have as a third, first world country, we have so many opportunities and we just plot along with average kind of yes. possibilities. There's so much more possible. And it's like, how can we live our full human potential? not just as Australians or Germans, but as, you know, humanity. Yeah. That's what really, I guess, came out of it. From that time for you. From that time, yeah. It's just not, when I say not good enough, it's, you know, it was just like not satisfying to see how everything is just the same. And now, and then I got my job, I finished my uni and, you know, got the job and it was a safe job. Yeah. Engineering. Great. Government, stuff. government office. They can't just throw you out. Yeah, you know, right. sorted for the rest of your life. Yeah, all the way to your. Uh, and I was like twenty something by then, twenty two when I started, twenty three or so, and then 
three, four years later, it's like, no, this is not going to cut it for the next 40 years. What did that look and feel like in you? Did you, did you know from the start that it wasn't the right thing for you to doing, or did it just start to eat away and eat away and eat away? When I applied for the jobs after getting my um, paperwork from a university, I was like, hmm, yeah. I, I had a moment during studies already where I was like, oh, I can chuck it all. I'm not going to last in there anyway. But as I like to complete things and I have that discipline, I guess I just wanted to finish it and really see what that feels like and then move on from there. Mm. And as soon as I entered the office, you know, you put your card in and what is that called in English? I don't even know. Yeah, the card into <laughs> the, yeah. The clock on. The clock on. Yeah, the clock on. And um, I was the only one showing up at nine o'clock because we had that time between 6.30 and nine, we could start. And, you know, everyone was there already and I would walk in at 8.59. <laughs> and I preferred to work till six, let's say. Yeah. In East German culture was you start 6.30. You know, it, so, it was so deep ingrained in so many people that they knew a lot of engineers and, you know, <laughs> a bit different. So I was not really welcomed anyway in that sense, you know, it was different in that culture. And just realizing that is totally not satisfying. It was clear to me that it's not going to last. And mm. I tried one more time, actually, I applied for another job within the system, within that government system. So I made it up to the next level somehow. I don't know whatever mm. the structure was there. Yeah. And I lasted there for another year. And then I was like, all right, I tried it. <laughs> there I go. So is it a clean break? And this, yeah, yeah. And and uh, was it straight towards yoga, or was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So from there, I started my yoga career, if you like. Yeah. You, how long have you been doing that for? Well, I have been practicing for myself for the last twenty something years. Yes. Um, so that was a nice like rock for me in my life, yeah. even when I was working at the government office already. Um, actually, since studying already. Um, did you learn about yoga during the, uh, East German time? No, no, that so, was, um, no, that was not my radar at all. My dad would do handstand all the time because it felt good for him. So. <laughs> but no, I didn't learn yoga back then. It was time of my, the times when I studied university yeah. and I got into it. And what was it about yoga that drew you towards it? It worked. Away from the safe it job. Simply it simply worked. I mean, the yoga practice for myself, it simply worked. And then. The way I got into actually teaching was just flow. It was just happening. Right. It was meeting people, possibilities where the space was provided and, you know, there was some nice collaboration going on. It was just the opposite world of government office. Hmm. And the feedback I got instantly from people who came to the class, I was like, that's actually working. I'm actually serving somehow. I'm making an income from it. And it's like, living on purpose in some sense. I probably have, wouldn't have used those words back then, but hmm. totally satisfying. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And how far into it was it before you had your own school? Um, how far in? Well, I started with a few classes. Actually, they started while I was still in the office, I think. Yeah. Maybe one class I had already on there. Just yeah, no, actually, uh, I can't. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so own school, I'm not sure what I would define as a yoga school. Yes. Um, 
back then it felt like, well, back then yoga was new yes. in, in our, in our world of Westerners. Cause this, this is one of the things I was thinking about before the interview, you know, you, 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 you've already said, um, yoga wasn't a thing yeah. in East Germany. And so now you've gone into this like, safe engineering world and, and now you're moving to this. I mean, it's one thing that you should get into yoga, but then to actually make it your career mm. it, and it, and I mean, I, ha, I don't know how it was perceived in, in, in mm. East Germany at that time. It was like, you know, was it like far out there and a bit woo compared to, <laughs> but the wall was down already. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pre wall coming down yeah. Germany in the Eastern part, let's say, Even just still. to make that we are now yeah. talking Germany. Um, we still feel it's East and we still feel it's West, but it's all one now. Yeah. Um, and in that time, yoga was not fashionable. Yeah. Like it might've been fashionable in New York or some other place where it might have mm. started to become fashionable, but I felt like nobody can even spell yoga. Uh, yeah. my, a good friend of mine, she said, I'm the yogurt master now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to make that joke because nobody really knew what's really going on with the yoga yeah. scene. And now when I come back to my hometown where I had my school, every corner of that city has a yoga school. It feels like, yes. you, know, you can ask someone, some stranger in public, public transport or wherever, and it might be a yoga teacher. It's a good chance to meet a yoga teacher. Yeah. Anyone is a yoga teacher now. Um, so back then it was just, um, I think I was maybe, I, I tried to reach out. I remember to teachers I knew would do work in, in, in that town, Halle. Yeah. And try to get some sense of community because we're all teaching and there's not many anyway. So let's just see what we do and share. And, but it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, back then, um, yeah. So back to your question, yoga school. I'm, I was teaching full time. I was working with German bank or the university I was teaching classes there. Um, so it was a really busy time and I didn't go to the next level of actually training people to become yoga teachers. It wasn't the time back yeah. then. I can see how my friends who started yoga at the same time start, start doing that later on. Like, yes. you know, when you start after a bit of teaching, classes you then go to the next step and actually train people in your style yeah or through your school and that's how the business grows it's just i, I guess just the business model of it hmm. um, and that's really what's happening nowadays now that everyone can start an institute and say you're certified from my institute and become uh, let's say a narrative yoga practitioner yeah and I, I i haven't befriended that idea really yet it seems a bit like Maybe I'm a bit old, old school, but I'm still not understanding that mm. everyone can do it. It doesn't have to be university or maybe yeah. that's deep ingrained East German heritage in my brain. Who knows? Who knows? Everything needs to be institutionalized and government controlled. Yeah. I know. I don't know. So you created your own school, but you weren't necessarily not training other people to become mm. yoga teachers now. Mm. And what was the, what was the deciding point to? come to Australia? Um, my wife. Mm. So I, I took a break from my yoga school and, um, went over to Australia for about six months and I met my partner in Melbourne and that's how I changed career again, more or less. So it was a bit of a hard decision to really 
make that big step and actually close my yoga school and come over here. Um, but in 2007, we, you know, we came over here together and, um, after living there together for about six months and it was too much for her to stay in Germany or <clears throat> we just decided, well, let's just go Australia. You know, why, why, why not? Mm. Um, so we started here and with new projects and I was still teaching a little bit and had a few classes on, but I let go of it after a while. I thought I've done that. I move on to the next one. Superb. Yeah. It's interesting as, um, as I was, uh, considering or preparing yeah. for this interview that, you know, there's, there's the yoga, there is also, um, you know, the transpersonal counseling, which we'll get into a bit more. Yeah. There's, um, this archery and, mm. and, and what have you, there's, there seems to be a strong sense in you about almost like this inner searching and Definitely. also s- almost self mastery as well at the same time. I don't know if that's mm. right. Where, where does that come from in you and where's that come from in yeah. your story? Good question. Where does that come from? Um, I guess that would be a, a vision quest topic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, maybe something like that to really feel deep into what makes me approach new ideas and move on. I, I could have stayed in my government office for the rest of my life and would have been done basically have my holidays and my salary and my whatnot, you know, all sorted, but I couldn't befriend the idea of sitting there for the next 40 years. Mm. Obviously when you work in it, that's just my experience, but when you work in a government office, it's frustrating to see how projects just actually don't work, but get practiced anyway. Okay. Yes. Or as, as I went into that last stage, um, when I had my last year in the government office on a different level, we were in project development and it was an amazing project. And the boss would just put it in the drawer and it was never seen again. And you know, we just worked on that for the last six months. Where, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there was no satisfaction, no, just no, I don't know, no purpose for a better word. Yeah. So, that's definitely not my, my, my idea. So yoga became that new idea of that's really delivering something and really helping people to change something in their lives. Mm. And I guess that's what part of my work is now to really help people make sense in their life and just go, right, actually there's something else. Actually there's different ways of eating, let's say, or what is my diet like and why do I feel actually crap with that? Mm. And, you know, the simplest way of coaching is take away what you don't want, what doesn't serve you and make more or do more of what you like. I mean, how simple is that concept? Yeah. But it seems like many people struggle with that. Hmm. It's, um, why do you think that is? Hmm? Why do you think that is? Well, we could go into neuroplasticity now <laughs> <laughs> and go from there. Um, why is that? Because people like it comfortable and every change is not necessarily exciting if your nervous system is not used to that. Uh. So I found it amazingly exciting to create new, new things and change. And, um, just, you know, I closed my yoga school. Surely I thought, "Mm, am I totally insane now? Just closing that thing. You've left the government job. Now you close your yoga school. But 
landing on new shores with a backpack and starting from scratch. How amazing is that? <laughs> and, you know, back then I, I didn't sell the business or anything. It was not that business. It, the business was thriving because I was there. Yes. I, people didn't come because it was a brand or anything. It was just because I was holding that together somehow. So the next project was because there was no backup money. We just thought, well, what next? Like we were used to eat organic being in Germany um, from my yoga school times and there was nothing happening in Australia. It was either back in Geelong, there was two shops and one shop was a bit upmarket overpriced, I felt, and the other shop was not rotten, but <laughs> they didn't know how to look after their vegetables, let's say. Yes. And given that my partner was pregnant again, and we felt like, well, we want to eat organic, of course. We just started our own business. And here I am as an organic food and veg man yeah. um, on a, another business project. And we grew that business over five years until we had enough, basically. Um, it's hard work, you know. I mean, not that I don't like hard work, but um, it was another beautiful community project, I felt, where the business was growing, more and more people were served. We did enough, made enough money to support our growing family. And finally, we came to the conclusion we have to pass it on. This is not what we both want to do for the rest of our life. And a new shop was created and sold and handed over and is still there. It's amazing. Always happy yeah. to shop there and to see them. Um, and we decided to travel around Australia while we can. Kids were young. Business was sold. No, no ties. Let's do that now. So it was an amazing experience um, traveling around the country. Um, I actually co-founded another business with my partner, which is Soap Nuts, um, which is basically Soap Nuts are wash nuts. You can, as soon as you put a nut, it's botanically it's a berry, but if you put that in water, it's become soap. Right. So um, the idea is chemical free living. So I don't know how you feel, but if you go through an aisle in the supermarket where all the washing detergents are sitting, I feel like I need a breathing mask. Like you can smell the toxicity of it. Um, and any sensible human being might nod their heads, I hope, <laughs> talking to our listeners. <laughs> um, so the idea came up or the opportunity came up and there was this guy um, delivering that product to us through our organic business back then. And we just go, yeah, let's do it. So that was our distributor. And again, the idea was from village to village, um, you know, our little community and his little community. And he, we would import his stuff and pass it on. And we have chemical free households. We just clean everything and anything with soap nuts. I make my own shampoo with it and, you know, clean my coffee machine with it, everything possible. So how did I get there? <laughs> um, I, I believe a, a lifestyle takes some work. Yes. And if people are not willing to put some work in, they're not going to get the benefit. the same thing. So I like the idea eating organic and still do, even I don't sell my vegetables myself anymore. It's just, I mean, why would you eat something that has 35 different pesticides on it? Mm. It seems to work still, but I guess people get the point and at some level realizing it, it makes me sick and it tastes better. Organic tastes better. Anyway, I don't know rent about organic. Um, it was a great journey and, um, I really, I really hope that people spend their dollars wisely because 
Mm. You know, some people tell me I can't afford it, but I say I can't afford not to eat organic. It's like, that's my healthy body. Mm. It's essential. And I have never, ever been to the doctor in Australia. People ask me, what's my, who's your GP? And I, what, what's mm. that? So I, I think it really works. And when you combine it with soap nuts, um, you will see that you can live in a chemical of your household, chemical free household, plus eating organic food. There's nothing toxic surrounding you. And then the next level, and that leads me to my coaching business is mm. being mentally healthy, mental hygiene. Yes. <laughs> so how healthy can you be? How healthy can you relate to your partner? How healthy can you relate to anyone in particular to yourself? Mm. I was going to ask trans, um, transpersonal, transpersonal counseling. Yeah. What does that mean? So just to the short definition, trans is beyond mm -hmm. um, Creek crease. I always get them confused in Creek. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's beyond and persona is that crease. Yes. Creek word again, which is, um, your, your, your face. Your, yes. So when you imagine you have 10 different masks in your drawer mm -hmm. and if your mom comes in, let's say you put your mask on, which you will talk to your mom to. Mm. And if your daughter comes in, you will text, you put your daddy hat on, let's say not a mask, but better word, put your yeah. daddy in. If you're in business, you have your business hat on. Mm. And if you talk to me, you have your last hat on. Mm. So understanding and navigating that and being aware of which hat you want to put on at what time and then taking it to the coaching and actually understanding how to transition from, you know, all those hats are perfectly fine, perfectly valid. Yes. Unless there's some thing you carry out, which is probably not healthy, but even that is a judgment. So we don't know what it really is, but there are certain techniques in order to navigate through life. They have healthy transitions and actually be fully present. So if I have a coaching session with a client and I come, or let's say I record a podcast for a better example. Hmm. And it is a really exciting podcast and you storm out of your office afterwards and you meet your partner and you just totally download what's how amazing you are and how amazing the podcast are yeah. is, but you're actually not present to where your partner is. Yes. You know, and if you really have a good skill of, yeah, let's just say a good skill, you can actually have those five minutes, 10 minutes to transition and put fully present your head away and put fully present the other head on and put fully present to your partner and go, right, how, hmm. how are you going? And it's not like how are going when you go for a cappuccino strip and ask everyone. It's like a fully present question of how are you, my darling? Yes. And once you receive what's going on, you can actually ask if you got permission to share how you feel right now. And if you're both on that level, you can actually share what's going on. Otherwise it's just confusion. And otherwise you can have two people sitting there like just being yeah. physically present, but very much missing one yeah. another. Yeah. So who would, who would typically come and see you and for what reason as a transpersonal um, counselor? I haven't done much marketing in that sense. So yeah. I have really anyone and everyone. Yes. Um, 
I'm currently really busy with my workshops. That's another thing that takes me a little bit away from my coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't say I have a specific clientele that comes and sees me. Mm. Yeah. But typically of those that do come and see you, yeah. what sort of, what would be some of the reasons why they would want to seek out a, a transpersonal counselor as Actually, opposed to any other one? Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I haven't even, I, I took the transpersonal counselor totally off my, it's, I guess it's still somewhere down when you scroll down the explanation of where it comes from because it still says as one of my qualifications, qualifications there. Yeah. Um, but I, I like actually the idea of being a sense maker of, of, of really yeah. hearing the person and giving them a reflection or confronting them with certain things. Yeah. And then finding a idea of what potentially the trigger would be or taking them on a journey into transitioning or into confrontation or into feeling, just simply feeling what's going on. Mm. Um, and then moving from there and finding new perspectives or looking into quantum physics, as we talked about yesterday. Yes. Um, how simple can that be? <laughs> and so typical, most of them are the same age as me or similar, you know, it's maybe that kind of uh, resonance, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, what was your question? How, what, what kind of people? Yeah. I guess if, if someone's listening to this and that's sort of, why would I want to seek out a trans personal kind? Oh, okay. So when you go in that direction, I would say, you know, I, I have a couple of mentors in my life yeah. where I can, where I would happily pay money in order to talk to them. Simply, I could simply go to a friend and say, Hey, that's what's going on. Can you give me some feedback? Yeah. Um, and depends on what kind of friend that is. Obviously you get interesting on less interesting results, but if you have someone who is really paid to do the job, you will get what yes. you pay for. Yes. Um, so if you have never seen a coach or a counselor or, um, you believe you don't have any problems. Awesome. Go ahead. You know, just. But if you really take maybe after the podcast 30 minutes and just sit with yourself and just really ponder what's going on in your life. And if you would die tomorrow, would you be happily go or would you just resent what you have done the last month, year, two, 10 years? Mm. Then you will know. And this is a really cool question. Like death is the best teacher we have. If death comes knocking on your door tomorrow and you feel like, oh, fuck. Mm then you know you better see someone and have a clear and ask for a clear um maybe not guideline but reflection reflection on where you're at and find out where you're stuck and find out how you can live a life that you actually you know fascinated by stories from north american elders who actually decide when they go up to the mountain just to actually leave their bodies you know they have that awareness or consciousness to actually go today is a good day to die. I mean, Mm. how good is that rather than just getting sick and getting fat in some aged care and, you know, it's not my idea of getting old. So I guess there's a lot in there just to have a clear, a a person who can really call bullshit on you and go, right. You know what? You're kidding yourself. Mm. Just, and, and, and that's priceless. Mm. It's your life, you know. So often, I often find sometimes people are uh, you know, trying to they're trying to convince me of something, and my response to them is, "Who are you trying to convince him, me or yourself?" Mm. 
and, and that stops a lot of people in their tracks. So I guess with the, with the transpersonal element, you're trying to take people out of the different hats and, 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 and masks and, and really, um, take them above that and look down yeah. and go, which yeah. ones do you want to be wearing? Where do you actually want to be going? Let's not, go, let's not get stuck in the, in the whys and wherefores of this situation mm. or that situation. Where do you actually, yeah. And I, I love the idea of the death being, mm. you know, cause it doesn't matter what you believe about whether death goes on or not. It's definitely the end of one thing. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that, that very focusing and polarizing question of, if you had to roll out of here tomorrow, are you going to be happy with what you've done? How yeah, many regrets yeah. have you got? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And so you get to have these conversations with your coaches. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And do you do that? Um, just, uh, not just as one-on-one, but through the yoga as well. Um, no. Not particularly that question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not necessarily the first yeah. question I ask as a coach, but depends on where we want to go with it. And yeah. with yoga, I find that private yoga sessions are really powerful mm. because you can, let's just presume, and I think I'm right, but I don't want to put it on anyone out, out there. Anyone. Um, we all have some emotional charge we're carrying around. Emotional charge. Yes. So there will be something that is just, not serving you. And if you don't find out what, what it is, you will never have that fulfilled relationship, let's say. Um, and through yoga practice in particular, if you work one-on-one with a teacher, you can actually just stop and say, you know what, that's what's going on right now. You know, my hip has annoyed me for the last 10 years and I'm still feeling like it. It's blocked. You know what? It feels like my mom sits in, sits in there and holds it, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, I just made it up now. But um, there are certain energies, which is probably from a significant emotional event you had in your, in your life that you haven't processed. And it's just energy. And when you look into quantum physics, you know how energy is hanging around. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and if you're cha- not able to change your perception of that energy, and you're not able to process it and feel it and let it go or whatever you want to do with it, it's going to be there. And you can mm. be yoga master, whatever, Jedi, son, whatnot. But if you can't figure out that bit, you're not going to be the master. You're going to have that stiff head or a sore knee or your blocked mm. shoulder or whatever it might be. Mm. So there's a, and also our body doesn't, uh, you know, we may have a traumatic event or, or a situation or something that gets quite emotionally charged and that will leave a signature in our body. And, um, and then as you move on, you don't necessarily remember the original event, mm-hmm. but, but your body doesn't know because, you know, the way, you know, I, I could, I would close my eyes right now and think of something really scary, like swimming in the ocean and being chopped by a shark. And that will create a physiological response. So my body doesn't know past, present, or the future or no. imaginary or real. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, cause if I'm firing it off, it's in your body. And so that uh, I've, I've, I've done a bit of reading about how energy and, and, and responses get stuck in the body. Yeah. And, and that, and the fact that um, I think it was John Sarno who, who talks about TMS and, and he's a physio that looks at people with back aches. Mm. And he was saying that 80% of most back aches are just in the head. Yeah. 
because um, you get close to something in your head that's a bit scary yeah. um, or, or, or some belief that doesn't want to go away and it will mm. chuck off all this emotional stuff. And, and, and then the other thing that we do is sometimes we'll, we'll just shut off the oxygen, oxygen supply to different parts of our body mm. because then it's like, oh, I've got, a, I've got a stiff shoulder. And then now you're thinking about your shoulder, not about the original event. So mm. place tricks on you. Absolutely, yeah. I think so I can imagine working one-to-one with somebody in yoga where you're doing these intense positions and putting yeah. your body into certain areas. That in, it, in yeah. and of itself can start to release some hefty emotions. Absolutely. And you don't necessarily have to have a coach or a yoga teacher with you. Just practice your yoga and don't focus on whatever you, I mean, it's all, all good and fine. Have goals and, you know, you want to reach your toes and reach 20 centimeters over in, in, in forward bend or whatever. And that's great for reaching. Your brain needs to know where to go. However, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to feel the body and really pay attention and breathe. If you're not breathing, your life force is out the window and you just torturing yourself. So this Breath work, you can really go into every single cell if you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a long way to go there, but you can into every single area of your body. You can go with your breath just by leading your consciousness into that area. <clears throat> breathing and yeah. focusing. So energy is, <clears throat> excuse me, energy is following consciousness. That's like the bottom rule. Mm. So Where awareness goes, energy flows. Yeah. And if you're in there long enough, and you might just in the most simple beginner's pose, You just breathe and focus wherever you want to focus. Let's take that hip again, left hip or something, left side of your hip. You will find there's something going on. You know, that that energy will be activated and it might just go because it was felt and that's it. It's all we needed. And it's solved. 20 years of hip pain solved. You know, and then there's other problems or other problem challenges where you just go, right, I need to work a bit more here. I need to breathe a bit more here. It could be just as simple as breathing, but who has the patience just to breathe in our so material, materialistic society, right? It's oh, just, busy, busy world. Yeah. I think it was Mr. Sano who said that every pain after six weeks not resolved is coming from your head. It's not real. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting concept to get across to people. Mm. Yeah. When, you know, it's like, Pain is very real, or it seems very real mm. in your body. And it's like, wow, this has got to be yeah. because I've hurt my shoulder or yeah. because of something anatomical that I've done. Mm. So then, but so to then to get the point across that no, it's all coming from your head. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. And there's also in my, in my understanding and how I see the world, we have a horizontal world or awareness and then it's a vertical world. Beautiful thing in bow and arrow as well. <clears throat> so, Most of our time in our Western world, we spend here in the horizontal realm, let's say. Mm. And everything is logic and, you know, A to B and time. And But there is more happening. And that's more, again, towards quantum physics. You know, there's other levels, which is more the vertical direction. Different frequencies, different vibrations. And if you look at that, you might find that pain is actually most welcome. Not even just that. Actually, that's a bad example. <laughs> Also in a horizontal world, pain, you know, pain is something perfect, perfectly fine. Just look at it for what it is. If you mm. just get rid of it and all the, you know, pharma, pharmaceutical products, golly, we need to, uh, and 
I hope the listeners understand that I don't want to say, get over your pain. I understand mm. that you know, I am in pain sometimes and I haven't taken any painkillers since I don't know when, not in Australia. Um, so I'm, I, I still relate to it, but there is a different solution and we need to understand that our body has a life force and then coming back to the vertical kind of realm we live in, which we have forgotten because we live in a scientific world and science started like 200 years ago. I think it was a philosophical um, meeting in, in, in Berlin, even back in Europe where all the scientists came across and decided that we now just look at the materialistic world. That was 200 years ago. And we've forgotten all the wisdom that came before that. And it's way more there. And no wonder nobody understands what homeopathy is, you know. It's like universal law translated. This guy Hahnemann found the translation for it, delivering it again to the world. He's not, he has not developed it. He just found it. It's amazing stuff. Like a little pill with an information in it activates your life force. I mean, how simple can it get? No side effects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I love the world of holistic approaches. And it works for me as being healthy in my body with homeopathy. It works for me in a chemical, chemical free household, being in nature as much as I can, eating certain foods I like, understanding my gut biome, all that kind of stuff. And you're laughing, you know, it's just like nothing to worry about. Hmm. So all that I bring if, if wanted into my coaching session and look at what's going on. How can we make sense of what you are delivering? And what you want, and we just swap a few things around, take things away, make things more, and here we go. Mm. I love it because mm. it, it is taking taking that time out to actually look at what's serving you and what's mm. not, what's helping, what's yeah. not, and it's so easy for us to just keep doing the same thing and then yeah. sitting wondering why nothing's changing mm. or being being miserable and wondering why. Yeah, yeah. He's one of our previous guests saying, doesn't, you know, doesn't matter what the outcome is. We're brilliant at practicing stuff. Mm. It's just sometimes we practice the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever we practice, we'll become really good at. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Whatever we practice, we get really good at. You call your yoga practice narrative yoga. What, yes. what does narrative mean? For me, it's all about the story we carry. Yeah. So back then I was bringing my transpersonal transpersonal diploma I did the counseling thing into my yoga practice and combining them both. And so kind of a, um, yeah, an approach of body and mind and mixing them up and go, right, there's not just your head. There's not just your body. You need to mix them up and you need to work from there. And now after the, all the coaching I've done and the certification there and doing more work with other people and I just open it up even wider and go more into the, the story is still really strong because whatever story you have, and we all have certain agendas, let's say a trauma or whatever it might be, you know, some people carry a heavy load. Some people, it's just something simple, but we all have it on some level. And once you find that, 
you find your narrative and you find the truth in there, what it, mm. your truth, nobody else needs to agree with it, but your truth, what you felt. Yes. From there, we can feel it again if you need to. And I'm not a big fan of going into the trauma over and over again, because as we understand now, yeah, yeah. with neuroplasticity, yeah. you're just making it bigger. Yeah. You don't want to wire that event. And you'll be re-triggering and re-triggering. So we want to really, if needed, revisit once, whatever's needed, let's say. But we move on from there and change the story. We don't make it untrue. We don't make, but we need to relate in a new way. Yes. We need to actually learn to appreciate what's there. We don't have to forgive. <laughs> it might trigger some people. We don't even have to forgive. Yeah. If you like it, forgive yourself, but appreciate your event in your, your events, your traumas, your whatever you have in your life. And I, I know it sounds probably highly triggering for people who had big shit going on in their lives. Yeah. Um, but I believe that's the only way out. The only way out is, out is fully appreciating what you experienced in your life and finding the gold in there. Yes. And from my experience, everyone I know who has been working in that field and with me has been finding gold there. Yeah. And even in the shittest of circumstances. Even in the shittest, I, I don't even, I, I want to go there. I kind of go, yeah. oh, that's heavy. But often that, that's even the gold that, mine. Even that is. Yeah. Is, is, um, is gold. And that's all the fairy tales t telling us, right? You're making, what is that one fairy tale? You're making, I mean, we say it often in life, how to make shit, out, uh, gold out of shit or what is that saying? So, yeah. Uh, that's really German now. Als scheiße Gold machen. That's kind of. Right. Um, <clears throat> so there is a deep, we, we know it. And that's all the whole alchemistic realm and world of, they made, you know, gold out of, what was it? Lead. Yeah, lead. So that's exactly the analogy, the, you know, metaphorical approach we need to take and go, right, there's some really toxic shit in my body, lead. And it serves me because I can make gold out of that. And if I understand where the alchemist hmm. sits, it's done. Hmm. You just need to start spinning. A recurring theme in, in, in some of these podcasts that I've done is, He's learning how to be all right with not being all right. Mm. It's never going to be perfect. Yeah. And then from that, then that is an easier gateway to go towards things that are painful. Yeah. Because often things that are painful, what we're talking about is a painful wrapping around a bar of gold. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The first step is definitely the hardest. You know, it's mm. just leaning into you need the fear. To, to start, take that first step and take at least two more. Mm. I say mm. just the first step and two steps back is probably not a good idea, but taking that first step and have the courage to go two more and you're rolling. Yeah. You're out there. Mm. Mm. It becomes, because once this trapped energy is released, then it can turn into yeah. a great drive. Absolutely. Energizing your entire being and body. Whatever you want, it's just waiting. You just need to put it into that space where you just have the lead sitting. Mm. That element of lead. <laughs> Sounds interesting in English. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so you're here this week delivering the Longbow yeah. workshop. How did that come about? It was an interesting, or it still is an interesting story. It was, yeah, it was, it just kind of happened. So I'm really, I was really busy with whatever I did with my transpersonal counseling and um, doing the coaching um, certification and all that. And there was um, 
a bow making class, which actually my partner organized with the guy who became my teacher, Peter. Mm. Um, and I didn't even go there. I didn't even have a look. <laughs> so my son and my partner came back with a longbow from that workshop. I still didn't have a look, <laughs> yeah. a brief look. And then we finally met Peter and myself, which was when we were traveling around Australia and we revisited the location we started from. And uh, so we, we were staying with him and we just planning on just finding somewhere to stay for a night because we were in our, our house truck traveling through and flexible as we were, we just like, let's just hang out a bit longer. And it was just totally connected, talking without an end. And <clears throat> there was a little bit of synchronicity in there when Peter started talking about his work and bow making and his approach of life. And he has his mentor and his work he's doing with, with um, him. And uh, I had my ideas and my coach and my work and I, what I want to do. And I was just reading a book from Krishnamacharya, which is one of the greatest um, yoga masters of the 20th century. And it's, you will see it on my website first up up there. He's talking about um, hmm. how there's free um, approaches for physical strength or that I can't even get it straight out, but he talks about strengthening the joints and blood vessels. And there's only three exercises that really support that. And that is yoga, karate, sadhana, which is basically fighting with weapons and archery. And he finishes with, and I don't forget why archery is forgotten in our days. Yes. And here I sit with a bow maker talking about archery and instinctive shooting and all that amazing stuff. I thought, hmm, let's just ponder that a bit longer and see what, what's in there. And um, when we returned from our travels, we reconnected again and I started helping him promoting a bit more the business and we started co um, collaborating on some level, also co-facilitating and bringing yoga in a little bit and testing out what's possible and what people want. But at some point, Peter had to go back to America for other reasons. Uh, wasn't really planned as such, but he was, and I was like, hang on, where are you going? <laughs> yeah. Like we just built that business together and it feels pretty good. And, you know, and so I decided just to take it on and, you know, I gave it a go again, uh, one step forward and go, let's just try one workshop and do it myself and see what happens. Like can't be that bad. Yeah. And it was so much fun. And my second workshop was sold out. And I was like, oh my God, how can I hold that group of people after my, my second workshop? <laughs> and it worked beautifully. And I was like, that was my apprenticeship. You know? I, yeah. Was yes, your apprenticeship done. <laughs> and from there, it was, was a great fun project and it fits so beautifully with my coaching ideas because yeah. there's so much powerful stuff in there, you know? So during the course of the two days, I take it there's more to making a, a longbow than just making a yeah, longbow. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, it's, and it really is a beautiful personal journey. You can really see it as your own rite of passage, if you like, you know, just go there and go, all right, I'm going to go there knowing I have two left hands. That's a German saying, I guess. Yeah. I okay. I get it. But I can still manage to get it by somehow. I know it, you know, have that confidence and, just join in and then see where it takes you. And obviously I'm there to support everyone. And you walking away with a bow that, it, first of all, it looks amazing. And second, it actually works. It shoots really. 
it's it's a weapon. Yeah. Um, it's still safe if you're responsible. And the journey you take gives you so much learning, not just to know how to make a bow if you want by yourself again, but also just all the little bits in there that you have to understand and relate it to your own life mm. or to your own journey out there in life. Because I imagine there's a lot of um, precise focus, being present. Mm. You can't be thinking about what you're having for dinner while you're shaping and making. And, and you're putting a lot of your own personal energy into Absolutely. something quite physical. Yeah. Which, again, we don't do so much. It doesn't that. happen in our days. It doesn't. And so there's a real sense of putting energy and time and focus into a task mm. and then having a great sense of completion. Absolutely, yeah. So having something made with your own hands and all of Steiner, my children go to Steiner school and it's just, I couldn't imagine another way of educating or putting my kids into school. There's only one way and that's the Steiner school. Mm. Um, and the way they teach and the holistic approach and understanding the different realms and the senses of children and how they mm. learn and whatnot is so amazing. And I find it fascinating when I teach people who, or I actually teach in Steiner schools, um, my class and how they relate and how people relate who don't go to Steiner school, not that they're worse or better or anything. It's just different. And I, from my perspective, I can see how there's such a, such a potential in humans mm. to be creative and flow and laugh and be fully in their bodies, in our bodies and just really live and, you know, have that ooh, vibrant energy. Or you can just be like, uh, compared to the stormtroopers in Star Wars, you know, there's, yeah. there's not much difference sometimes when you look at the workforce. I love that word. The we workforce. Have, we have in Australia. I mean, how much different is our workforce to Star Wars? Like there is, when I see the stormtroopers, it's like, how small minded can you be and excuse everyone who thinks he's part of the workforce, but I'm sure yeah. there's incredible humans out there in the workforce. I'm just talking in general terms, yeah. right? So I can, from my perspective, I see a certain aliveness in people who relate more to different realms in our society and can disconnect mm. from screens, from cons consumerism. Mm. And, uh, from patterns and programs and, and nine to five and yeah. that world of engineering that Absolutely. you left. Yeah. So that's... Um, that must come alive during during the weekend of making a, a long bow. So one beautiful feedback I had once, um, a woman, she she said to me, you know what, I haven't seen my partner without his screen ever. And he hasn't touched it for a whole weekend. <laughs> he hasn't touched his phone for a whole weekend and I have never seen that before. Now, it doesn't mean you can't check your phone in my workshop. It just means this person realized, probably even not even consciously, and that's not part of his world for right now. It doesn't, it's not needed. Mm. It's actually something way more fun out there to fully engage in a process that holds so much for, for every individual. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely a rewarding work for me. It's just looking at people, how they work and, helping out where I can and 
it's absolutely amazing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you, you go around the country delivering these, don't you? Yeah. So I, I'm here now in WA for two workshops and I will be back next year, probably the same time, uh, last weekend of April, first weekend of May, somewhere around there. And it actually not only go around the country in Australia, which is now, I think, six states. So WA, South Australia, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, and Tasmania, yeah. Yeah. But also take my work to Germany. Um, so soon enough in July, August, I will be in Germany teaching a few workshops there. Bow making and a bit more of relating work. And, yes. Um, as I believe that's really an important um, part of my work to engage even more in that relating aspect in our society. I'm in a relationship, so why wouldn't I teach that? You know, I want to learn more about that. Yeah. And every workshop makes my world richer. Yes. And hopefully everyone else's as well. Yeah. And it's amazing to be able to create value in the world and be rewarded mm. for creating that value Absolutely. in the world. Yeah. Through. Yeah. 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 I hope once we all relate on a whole new level, and including myself, mm. the world will be a different place, a better place. Yeah. yeah. I, it, I mean, obviously, I enjoy relating, which is the whole reason why I've done this podcast yeah. and why I get to meet different and interesting people. But it's interesting because this week I was, I was, um, I went back into a, I was having a discussion, uh, online discussion with uh, a group of guys and girls who do podcasting around the world. Mm. And, um, and, and they were talking about changing the world and, and changing your world with your podcast and, and putting the stories out there. And the point I had, the point I got across was, yeah, you can put the stories out there, but by actually going out and relating to someone, you don't have to do a podcast. You just go out and talk to someone, yeah. relate, have a real conversation. Then you yourself change mm. and you and the energy that you put out changes. And in and of that self, mm. you have now changed the world. Absolutely. And that starts right every moment. So next time you go to your local shop, or the supermarket. I'm there sometimes as well, but only buying toilet paper there. I don't find anything else there. Um, I noticed the checkout points there. I always look for that checkout with a human behind it. Yes. And I always attempt to even compliment them for the great work they do. It changes people's lives. So if you can, get over yourself and compliment people every day. Yeah. Engage. It's kind of the first step and every human being will love it. We love to be acknowledged or complimented, and that's how we, we find a way of relating on a different level. Mm. Even from man to man, which seems harder, I, feel, I, I observed. <laughs> you know, it's not about who is giving you the harder handshake. It's more about looking in a man's, into man's eyes, as we do right now, and acknowledging the human being in front of me. You yes. Know, and really relating without even saying anything. And that can be so beautiful, and that's life-changing and changing the world, I believe. Yeah. Indeed. So um, over this journey of um, that we've we've enjoyed talking to and listening to, what are, what are some of the big things you've learned about yourself along the way? You're talking the journey from the wall came coming down all the way to today. From the what? Sorry, the wall coming coming down all the way to today, or yeah, yeah. What are some of the biggest things you've learned about yourself? Biggest thing learned about myself. Um, but one thing I recently took on again a bit more and looking at that 
in different aspects of my life, maybe as a team leader or as a husband or with my children, um, I don't have to be right. I, I want to be happy. So the decision between being right or happy. So rather than fighting or arguing about being right, I rather prefer to be happy. Hmm. And it doesn't mean I grant the other person to be, or get to get their way or be right or whatever. It just means that I can stay in my peaceful place and relate from there rather than trying to convince them because their story is true. I see it with my children all the time. They both have a story and they're arguing over it over and over again. And it's like trying to correct each other's story. Who's right? Just hear each other. And I'm challenged with that. If my partner says something to me and I feel like that's wrong, but who am I to make that wrong? That's how the person feels right now. So really hearing the other person and listening and listening and then acknowledging what the other person says. And you know what? Sometimes the other person might actually say, that's not what I said. Oh, okay. <laughs> and from there, you have a whole new conversation, but you're actually open to it mm. rather than just bite into it and go. Ar, 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 ar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's still my, you know, part of my challenge as well, because there's always things that come up, especially when you have a busy life and you haven't taken that breath in between and you're actually not present because you're still up there, but you're actually now engaging with your children. Not much success coming from there. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, what I love at the moment. And I, I could potentially talk for another hour just about that topic. Whatever else I have learned might take another five hours. That kind of, it's such an ongoing process. And it's what I found in that actually the second learning that it always comes back. You know, yesterday I might've thought, oh, I'm done. I, yeah. I managed, right? Yeah. I just heard my partner really well and I, I was happy and I didn't try to be right and everything was resolved. Done. No. Yeah. It will come back. Yeah. Everything goes in circles and ideally you evolve, you go up the circle, the spiral. Yeah. Rather than down. Down. Yeah. So once you master your challenges, the universe will present you another one. Indeed. <laughs> it just doesn't stop. <laughs> What does the next three to five years look like for you, love? Next five, three to five. Yep. Um, I might start a whole new secret. I will. Not I might. I'm actually working already. It's not really in, in there right now, but I'm, I'm working on a few new workshop concepts mm -hmm. about relating, about being present and really living you what you want mm -hmm. and really communicating clearly what it is you want to live and living that and bringing that into action and, you know, that whole process. Um, so I will, um, run workshops on that topic. Um, I might even, we'll see. I haven't um, worked out the logistics and I present on that because I'm so busy with longbow making at the moment. Um, I'll see how it all works. You know, there's a few, Bits they're not quite clear at the moment because there's family decisions to be made where we want to be in the next 10 years or whoever, whatever we decide. So I feel that's just not, um, a clear picture right now. That's why, uh, yeah, it's, um, but definitely when I look at my work, I can see 
a new level of workshops. And then the longer workshops might go parallel with that. And um, I will put another spin on my coaching um, projects in, in that. And um, I'm going overseas in, in, in a couple of months um, and will finalize a few bits of business over there as well, where I will decide from there if I grow my work more in Germany as well, <laughs> or if I go, right, actually, I want to be here. I'm sick of flying over again yeah. <laughs> and around the world. Um, that's something that will come. It's on the radar. Um, Germany, I love it. You know, obviously I have a privilege to go there in summer, um, uh, which is beautiful and see my family. But there's a sense in me that I, I'm not really want to travel all the time around the globe. Yeah. Um, but it could change tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and yeah, everything else, you know, my kids are still uh, young. So they're on my radar fully. I believe yes. active, active parenting is the most beautiful journey you can do. Um, I spend lots of time with my children doing archery or sword fighting. What Krishnamachaya said yes. accidentally. <laughs> Um, and yoga, you know, yeah. that's three disciplines we do. And Krishnamachaya was t talking about it like 200 years ago or whenever, um, no, not 200 years ago, uh, 100 years ago, maybe. So that's a beautiful part of my life at the moment. And I'm aware, obviously, that's ending at some point when they move out. <laughs> yeah. So life will spin again differently from there. Hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, I'm, I'm, really excited to see the changes evolving and putting my conscious awareness really towards what I want to mm. um, see unfold, let's say. Mm. If you could go back and back to meet the, the Lars that went to see the wall come down mm. and give that guy a little piece of advice, <laughs> what would it be? <laughs> um, what would that be back then? This is the last now. Yeah. Goes to speak. I would, and that's a nice question to, you know, when I work with teenagers, um, it's interesting to see them how, where they at. And when I look back, you know, I was fluffing around, I would say, not really aware. And so start your practice early, like really cultivate your own discipline. And it doesn't mean hardcore. It just means, you know, what feels good. Start listening to your body, start listening to your whole being because you know, already you don't need even anyone there, you know, it's all in there already. Hmm. So it's to, to allow really to trust, trust and trust and just go for it. Um, and do more of what you love and check out what you don't want. And, you know, we have a whole new world coming at us with blockchain and whatnot. Universities, I don't know if they will even exist in 20 years. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I have all that in my head at the moment, looking at how life is changing so rapidly mm. for education and, um, trading around the world and whatnot. And how are our children actually moving forward in there? Like I still 
some part of me, even I know all that stuff out there, what, what's new and what's different. Oh, my child has to go to university, right? But really, who gives anything about that? Yes. <laughs> Maybe in 20 years, we, we laugh about that. Mm. So, yeah, I guess coming back to advice, giving um, in German, the word for advice is actually Ratschlag. And Schlag is actually a little hit. Mm. And there's a saying that every rat is a hit. Mm. So every piece of advice you give, it's coming with a little yes. hit. So advice giving is an interesting, an interesting thing. <laughs> so um, you can offer something and the person can decide if they want it or not. Mm. It might even start with asking for consents to speak. Yeah. You know, I don't even want to hear what you have to say. Please ask me before you talk to me. And that's kind of what teenagers most likely like. Mm. Um, but what would I say to myself? Cultivate some great discipline and work from within rather mm. than trying to follow your mom or your whoever yes. thinks they have great advice for you. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Lars, it's been fantastic to talk to you today. It's been super interesting to listen to your journey from you know, from, from growing up in a country that then changed mm. dramatically. Not existing anymore. And not existing anymore. And then, and then to go to, you know, what was such an obvious trajectory mm. and then how you've moved away from that and how you've embraced uh, uncertainty and change mm. and seen it as opportunity and opened up to that. And then listening to how you view the world 